Jewish audio on Chabad.org. With the help of Hashem, we are learning Bava Kama Daf Peiches. We left off on Daf Peiches, Amadala, four lines from the top of the Amid, quoting from the Mishnah, If a person injures an Evet Kanani, then the Evet Kanani belonging to someone else, Machloikis, Tanakama, and Rabbi Yehuda. The Tanakama says that the Choyvel, that the one, the aggressor, the assailant, has to pay all of the five. And Rabbi Huda holds that you don't pay boishes for shaming a Eved Knani. And here the Gemara is going to analyze what is the reason for Rabbi Yehuda. Says the Gemara, my Tamid Rabbi Yehuda, in the Parsha of Boishes, we learn Boishes from a Pasek in Parsha's Kiseitse that speaks about two men fighting. It says, Ki Yenotsu Anoshim Yachtov, if two men are fighting together, Ish Ve'och of a man and his brother. And then the Pasek says, and the wife of one of the men trying to protect her husband, she extends her hand, and she grabs on to the aggressor's private parts, and the Titus says that you have to cut off her hand, which means you have to pay for shame. So the whole parasha of shame begins with the words of two men fighting. Ish ve'achiv, says the Gemara, that where is there an obligation to pay for baishas? Only in a scenario where you have brotherhood. And yatsa eved, that comes to exclude an eved kanani, she'en achva in which there is no Achva. Why is there no Achva by Ye'evet Kanani? Let's quickly read inside Rashi. Mamash, the top, the first line of the Amid, all the way on top. Yatsa Eved She'ein Le'achva Im Yisrael. There's no brotherhood with Yidin. Why? She'ein Ababakal, because an Eved Kanani, as a Eved Kanani, is not allowed to marry any Jew. Now, interestingly, you have on the side, from the Messiah Sashas, you see here the star, so Lashen Acher, Eved Ein Le'achva. Why? Interesting. Because he's allowed to marry his sister. Or he's allowed to marry his brother's wife. That's because since he doesn't have any yichus, he's like in between both worlds, as we'll see later in Evet Kanani, actually undergoes a tefillah and a mila l'shem avdus. He's obligated to keep the mitzvahs that we women are obligated to keep. So he's not a non-Jew, but he's not a Jew. So he's allegedly not connected to anyone. Which means that theoretically he can even marry his relative, he can marry his sister. That's the meaning there's no brotherhood. There's no status and no effect of closeness, of family regarding is he or not allowed to marry someone. Interesting. Anyway, since an Evitani has no achva, therefore he is not included in the whole portion of Boishas. This is the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda. They say, one second, he is achiv. As we just spoke out, he is considered a brother to a Jew regarding mitzvahs are concerned. And says Rashi, also let's learn the Rashi insight, second line from the top of the Amid, any mitzvah that a woman is obligated to keep, all of the negative commandments and many of the positive commandments. A woman is only exempt by the, to do the positive commandments that are time-bound, and even there you have exceptions. Shabbos, a woman is obligated to keep. It's time-bound. Matzah, is woman, a woman is obligated to eat, even though it's time-bound. But whatever woman is exempt, the is exempt. And why is that? Let's remember this. Because the Gamar, La, La, Me'isha. Rashi quotes a limu that we have in Masechlis Chagiga. La, La. 
And we're going to use this Rashi later to understand, God willing, we'll learn a Toysavus inside. So whenever it is Chayv and Mitzvahs. So now, asks the Gemara, we'll go back in the Gemara, that wherever the Torah uses the word Achiv, it excludes a Yevet Kanani. What happens if witnesses testify against an Evet Kanani, claiming that the Evet Kanani murdered someone, and based on already sentenced the Evet Kanani to death, but before they kill the Evet Kanani, the witnesses become Edom Zoyimimim. And the truth is, Rashi brings down from a Sechta Makis, that the Edom Zoyimimim get killed. The rule of whatever the Edom wanted to do happens to them, happens even when they testified against an Evet Kanani. But the question is, why would it be so? And why not? Continuing in the Gemarim, because since Dixiv and Pasha Shoiftim in the in the Psukim that deal with the laws of Adam Zaimimim, it says in the Torah, you should do to him, meaning to the false witnesses, Kasher Zamam, as he conspired to do to his brother. And according to Rabbi Yehuda, his brother excludes an Evet Kanani. So Adam that were Zaimimim against an Evet Kanani should not be punished, but they are punished. But the question is why in that same Pasik, where it says that Pasik concludes that you should destroy the evil from amongst you. So since testifying falsely is an evil, and the Titus uses a strong expression, you have to annihilate the evil amongst you, that's to teach you Mikomakim. In all scenarios, even if they testified against an Evid Kanani, so that's an exception according to Rabbi Yehuda. Now the Gemara asks a question against the Chachamim. Elamiyato, Lerabonon, who include an Evid Kanani in the words Achiv. Evid, Yehei Kosher Lamalchus, let an Evid Kanani be allowed to be a king. And also on Pasha Shaiftim, you have the Pasik where it says, Soim Tosim, Olech that you should put upon you a king. Um, and then the Pasuk says, from amongst your brother, you should appoint a king. So according to the Rabbanan, if an Evet Kanani is included in the word brother, we should be allowed to appoint an Evet Kanani as a king, but we know that we're not. So they answered, Amrei, one second. Hold on. Okay, let's say an Evet Kanani is excluded from the word your brother. But Tikshalach, I have another question. What about a convert? A convert for sure is included in the word brother. Going back to the Rashi we learned in the beginning. Whether it means because he's allowed to marry into the Kahal Hashem. Again, is allowed to marry into, a, into the Jewish nation. Whether it is laws regarding can you marry your sister. Again, is not allowed to marry your sister. Nothing that was prohibited as a guy can become permitted when he becomes a Jew. And... However, on the other hand, we know that there are restrictions on a get from becoming a king. Question is why? He's not excluded from a checha. Now, what are the restrictions of a ger becoming a king? Look inside Rashi, seven lines from the top. Here's an important Rashi. Rashi says that if there's a person, if a person was born Jewish, he was conceived when his parents were Jewish, which according to Rabbi Huda, is Achma. Nevertheless, there are restrictions. We'll see in a moment. If his mother was a convert, can't even become an appointed officer, a policeman. Only if his mother was born Jewish. 
Now, by the way, what Rashi is implying that if his mother was born Jewish, even though his father is a convert, the child could become a king. And that's something we learned this in Saita. Daf Mem Aleph. Toysvus there disagrees. Toysvus holds that both parents have to be born Jewish. Be that as it may, there are restrictions, not only on a convert, on someone who was born from a mother who was a convert to become a king. Why is there a restriction when a get is called achecha? Ella, the answer has to be Amar Kra, because the Pasik says, Mikerev achecha. Mikerev means from amongst of your brothers, and that comes to tell you, from the elite of your brothers. So just like that Mikerev excludes a Ger, it excludes the Evet Kanani. Good. Another question, that include a Evet Kanani in the word your brother. Why would an Evet Kanani not be kosher to be a witness and he's not? It says, a pasuk again in Parshas Shoftim. It says Vedorsho has Shoftim Heitev that uh, the witnesses should make a real inquiry. And when Vihine Aid Sheker Ha'Aid, and if behold the witnesses, the witness is a false witness. Sheker Ana Ba'achiv, he has testified falsely against his brother. Again, the Torah uses the words brother, and according to the Chachamim, that should not. This qualify an Evet Kanani. So why is an Evet Kanani not a kosher witness? Amarullah says, Ula, Edus leimotzis omrat. Ah, Edus is different. And why is Edus different? Because asya Edus bekalvachoymer meisha. Because we're going to have a kalvachoymer from a woman. A woman cannot be a witness. Kalvachoymer and Evet Kanani cannot be a witness. Now before we go on, Toys was asked a question. We just read a Nashi the Lola from Chagiga. Taisus is the, the fourth Taisus on the Amid. So why do you need a Kalvachaymer from a Isha? If a woman, as we'll see soon, cannot be a witness. So we have a Gzayda Shavah, Lala, Evet Knani from a woman. Great. So Taisus says something important. Look inside Taisus again, the fourth Taisus on the Amid, V'yesh Lamer. The Chi Gomerin and Lala Mi'isha, that when do we apply the Gzayda Shavah? Ha'inu lahachmin alo Evet. That's only to be stringent on the Evet Knani. To say that he's obligated like a Yid, in keeping all the mitzvahs, at least the mitzvahs that women are obligated to keep. But to use the Gzayda Shavah, la la, meisha, to make the Evet Knani less qualified, that is something that we cannot use the Gzayda Shavah for. That's an important choice to remember, because there is another rule called, you don't make Gzayda Shavah halfway. Eng Gzayda Shavah Here we're learning a rule, Eng Gzayda Shavah but there is a concept of only making Gzayda Shavah and not Lakula, so to say. Or not to diminish someone's abilities. But anyways, coming back to the Gemara, we have a Kalvachaymid from Isha. Now, by the way, how do we know that a woman is not good to be a witness? So Rashi quotes the Pasik where we have the words Anashim. We'll find Rashi. That the two Anashim are standing in front of court. That's the source that there's a din that only anashim are kosher la'edus. It's not about believing more, believing less. It's about a din and edus. They have to be men. And now we have a kalvachemir from a woman, which is, says the Gemara, Uma isha shehiru uyalava A woman is allowed to marry any Jew. Still, nevertheless, she's p'sulu la'edus. She's not a kosher witness. Eved she'enir uyalava bekal. As we spoke out, Eved cannot marry any Jew. Eved then certainly, she'pasul la'edus is disqualified to be a witness. That's the reason. 
Says the Gemara, Omri, they asked, one second, A woman is not fit for circumcision. Now, even though Tosfos says she's not fit for circumcision, because it's not Shaykh circumcision, doesn't matter. Maybe, somehow, being fit for circumcision is the criterion that will qualify someone to be a witness. Taimar Me'evid asks the Gemara, Shuhu Ravi Lumila, he's fit for circumcision, he actually undergoes a circumcision, and maybe an Evid should be kosher to be a witness. He's also not excluded from Va'amdushnei Ha'anashim. He's an ish, he's a man. Answers the Gemara, ah, cotton yichiach, I have a minor. Sheyesh lemamila, a minor is fit for circumcision. And nevertheless, a minor is pasala edos, also from the same words, va'amdushtei anashim, you gotta be a man that excludes someone under 13. So we see from a cotton that even being royal lemila doesn't automatically make you a kosher witness. So now we're back to the kavuchemir from a woman. A woman is ru'uya lover bekal, but she's not a kosher witness. An Evid that's not even fit to marry any Jew, for sure an Evid is not a kosher witness. Still says the Gemara, how can you bring cotton? Ma'la cotton she'ene b'mitzvahs. A minor is not obligated to keep the mitzvahs. Toimir be'evid, shuhu b'mitzvahs. Like we spoke out, la la me'isha. Evid, Knani, is obligated to keep the mitzvahs like a woman. Says the Gemara, after that, isha techiach. A woman is mukhoiv in mitzvahs. Nevertheless, she's not kosher for witness. She'yeshna b'mitzvahs, still absolu edus. So now you have what we call a shava, a common characteristic. In other words, v'chazar hadin, the argument repeats itself. If you're going to shlug up the isha, you got a minor. You shlug up a minor, you got an isha. So what we say is, the nature of a woman is not like a child. Child is not like a woman. What is the tzada shava shabahem? The common characteristics of both, shekein enam b'chol ha-mitzvahs, look at these words, that both a woman and a minor are not obligated to keep all mitzvahs. A woman is obligated to keep some mitzvahs. And, upsulim lohoid, afani avi, as for Evid, now you have a tzadashav, not a kavuchemer. An Evid is not worse than a isha. He's like a woman that is not obligated to keep all the mitzvahs, and also she'ene b'chala mitzvahs, upasul lohoid. And he's not a kosher witness. So asks the Gemara Mala tzadashav shabahem, she'ken enoi ish, not the woman nor the cotton are called an ish. And again, the pasik. From where we learn the dinam of Edus writes, So they are excluded because they're not Ish. Answers the Gemara, Ella, I'll tell you, I'm going to go back to, the, to a Kalvachaymer from a Gazlan to a robber. And as Rashi says, back to the first concept, that a Gazlan is still a robber is not a kosher witness. How do we know that a robber is not a kosher witness? So let's read inside the Rashi middle of Ahmed, Mi Gazlan, the royal of Abikal. Upasala Eidos, quoting a Pasik and Parshas, Mishpatim, Dirsiv, Al Toshes, Yotcha. The Titus says, Don't put, don't place your hand on Im Rasha, an evildoer. Rashi doesn't quote the end of the Pasik. Leo's eight Hamas, to be a thieving witness. To which Rashi explains, Kalaimar, Al Tashis, Rasha, the Hamas, don't allow an evildoer. How is he an e- evildoer? Because he's a Hamsan, because he's a robber, don't allow him to be an eight. So a Gazlan is the ro- royal of a Bekal. He can't be an eight. And, and therefore, an Evid Knani, that's not even Ro Lovey Bekal. He cannot marry a Jew. He for sure cannot be a witness. 
asks the Gemara, my Lagazlan, I can refute that. Shekane mice of Garmoloi. He is not inherently not a kosher witness. He did bad activities. He decided to steal and he disqualified himself. Taimir Be'eved, that this disqualification has nothing to do with what he does, it has to do with who he is. Shein mice of Garmoloi. So, what proof do you have from a Gazlan? Ella says, Ah, you have to use a goslin in either a woman or a minor. And what's going to be the common characteristic? That they, that they don't keep all of the mitzvahs. Interestingly, a minor is not obligated in any. A woman is not obligated in some mitzvahs. A goslin doesn't keep some of the mitzvahs, not because he's not obligated. Because he steals. He, pushes, he doesn't keep the mitzvah, don't steal. And they're not kosher to be a witness. So an Evet Knani that also is not obligated in all the mitzvahs, he's only like a woman, Lola Meisha, he's not allowed to be a witness of Pak Sugya. So we have now a Katan, an Isha, an Evet are not kosher to be witnesses. A Katan and an Isha are excluded from the words Ha Anashim. And the Rabbanan, that we don't exclude an Evet because the word Achiv does not exclude. And Evet Knani, ultimately it's a Tzad shava from a Gazlan and either a Katan or an Isham. Continues the Gemara. And now we're going to learn another source from where we know that an Evet Knani is not kosher to be a witness. Mar Ravina Amar. I'll tell you. Amar Kram. It says in the Pasuk and Parshas Ki Lo Yumtsu Avais Albanim. That a father should not die. On account of his sons. Now in the Sechta Sanhedrin, the literal limud of this Pasuk is, is that relatives cannot be witnesses against each other. That's the simple pshat. No, as a father cannot die on account of testimony given by his sons. By the way, the Pasuk there continues, Ubanim loyumsu alavis will see soon what that means. But that's the literal meaning. So says the Gemara, says Mar Bereid Ravino, that don't only interpret the verse as we just spoke out from Sanhedrin, that relatives cannot testify one for the other. There is another meaning in this Pasik. Lo yumsu, that you cannot put someone to death, al pi banim, on testimony of people who do not have any genealogical connection with their sons. Who, who is the one that doesn't have a halachic genealogical connection, chayis with the sons, an evet. Right, we learned that so much, you know, in, in, in Nashim. An evet, his children belong to the master. There's no halachic connection between the evet and the sons. So that's the meaning of the Pasik. Don't put someone to death by the testimony of a voice that doesn't have chayis banim. And then Marx goes on. If you will only use this verse, interpreting it as we learned just walk out from a sechta Sanhedrin, it just means that relatives cannot testify one for the other, then lo yumsu avais albanim, meaning, what do we learn in Sanhedrin? Be'edus banim, you don't put a father to death because his sons testified against him, because relatives are not kosher to be witnesses for their relative. Lich rachmana, the Torah should have written, lo yumsu avais albanayhem, don't put a father to death because of his son. Because of his relative, my banim, shmamino, both. No, it's not only can relatives not testify one against the other or one for the other. Also, also this nulimud, the loyumsu that you can't put someone to death based on a witness of someone who's called avayisha lahem chayis banim, and someone. 
who might have a biological children, but there's no genealogical relationship with one's children that refers to an Eved Kanani. Ah, says the Gemara, hold on. That's the way you touch the Reisha. When the Pasuk continues with the words, Should we interpret the verse to mean not only that relatives cannot testify one for the other, or one against the other, maybe let's interpret it, that Who are sons who do not have a genealogical connection with their parents? Who's that? A convert, a ger. A ger is kekot nami. Now a ger is a kosher witness. The question is, why don't we exclude ger? El ager, hachinami, why don't we say there should be possible eidos? Taich the sefer like the resha. Great. Answers the Gemara Amrei, How can you compare one with the other? Before we get into the Pasik, let's just differentiate a ger from an evid. Ger, nehi de'ein lechayis lamayla, there is no halachic genealogical relationship with those who came before him, it's a nice expression, with the ones going up, that means he's not considered halachically his parents as children, but lamata yesh lechayis. But if a ger gets married and has children, they're considered his halachic children. So a ger has a genealogical connection with his biological relatives, it's just not going up, but it is going down. But lafuki evid, and evid is much worse. Evid has no connection, not up and not down. So therefore, first, before we interpret the Sefer, which we didn't yet, first we're proving that there is such a difference. If the truth would have been that even in Ger, because of there being a disconnect halachically with his genealogical relatives, even though it's only going up, if it would be disqualified, the Torah should have written, going back to the Reisha, the Reisha should have only written the first law, that relatives cannot testify. Don't allow a father to be put to death because of his sons. And then, and we would have interpreted it only the way it's interpreted in Sanhedrin, which is, can't have relatives testifying for each other. And, the Torah, only in the Seifa, the Torah then should have continued the Seifa. And, would mean the Ger. That you can't put someone to death by testimonies by those who don't have a genealogical relationship with their parents, which is a ger. And if the trader would have excluded ger, I on my own would have known that you exclude an evid, because you have a kalvachaymer. The shomat not today. Chada, first of all, lo yumsu banim be'edus avais. The literal meaning, again, relatives are not kosher witnesses. And ve'edachan also lo yumsu alpi banim she'elam chayis avais. And that someone who has no chayis avos, the ger cannot be a witness. And the evid, I would know from a kalvachaymer, from a ger, write the second white line by saying ma ger that the, only the lamaylo who the aim lechayis, av lamata yesh lechayis. Nevertheless, pasul leedos. So evid she aim lechayis loy lamaylo loy lamata is einoidin she pasul leedos. So if the Torah only would have excluded ger, I would have known evid. Ella, the fact that the reisha of the pasuk. The Torah did not write B'nai Hem. The Torah wrote Banim. The Torah in the Reish of the Pasik excludes an Eved. That's a proof that only an Eved is excluded. Because his disconnect with Yichus is both Lamaila and Lamata. But a Ger could be a good witness. We have to now interpret the Sefer. Ella, me the cause of Rachman Eloyim Banim, not B'nai Hem. The Mashman now that comes to teach you 
needed to exclusively, explicitly, so to say, be telling you that an Evet is not good. From this I'll tell you right away that only an Evet, but a convert which has more genealogical connection than an Evet, True, not Lamaila, but yes, Lamata, Avulger, Kivan, the Yeshlichai is Lamata, he is a kosher witness. So, therefore, one thing is clear we know that a, that a ger is good. The only question is, how do you interpret the safe of the Pasik? Why don't you interpret it the way you interpret the nation? Now, Vechi Tema, Lichtoiv Rachmana, Ubanim, Loyumsu al Avoy Sehem. So, the safe of the Pasik is actually just telling you that relatives cannot testify one for the other. So children with their parents, parents with their children, the emphasis should have been there. Why did the Torah use a more generic term, which does lead you to this misinterpretation, it seems that we are excluding a ger, says the Gemara, we have this concept even in the Torah, not only in Mishnayis, that there is a certain symmetry that, uh, that, that, that is used. Things should look nicer, right? It's more, it's more beautiful. Just like the Torah in Dereisha, Dafka wrote the words Banim, not Benehem, because the Torah wants to exclude Avadim. So, so in conclusion, listen, everyone holds that Evet Kanani cannot be an Evet. Now, by the Parshas Edus, you have the word Sheker Ana Ba'achit. According to Rabbi Yehuda, an Evet Knanin is excluded because of the word Zachiv. According to the Rabbanan, we have either the Gzeda Shava or this beautiful Limud of Loyumsu Avais Al Banim. Very good. Going back to the Mishnah. Now we're opening up a new sugya. It's very interesting, right, with two lines from the bottom of the Amit, that we are quoting the, the, the din that we learned yesterday, and Pei Zayin, that Cheir is Shaitivikotin Pigiyasan Ra. The Mishnah says that encountering a deaf mute or an imbecile or a minor, it's about encounter. We said yesterday it's a lose-lose. Because if you damage them, you've got to pay all the five devarim. Right? If they damage you, they are exempt. Not only because they don't have money. They're exempt. Now, perhaps the story that we're going to read happened with a minor. And that's going to be the connection. We'll see, you'll see this in a moment. Or perhaps the Mishnah writes later that encountering a woman is also a lose-lose. But there the Mishnah explained it's only a lose-lose because if she damages someone else, she doesn't pay because she doesn't have any money. But if she were to have money, or when she receives money, if she gets divorced or becomes a widow, then she will have to pay. And this will be a story where we see that a woman had money and what she did to circumvent her current husband of getting hold of it. So let's read the story. Imei... The Rav Shmuel Bar Abba, Mahagroina, the mother of Rav Shmuel Bar Abba from Mahagroina, have an asivale Lirab Abba. She married Rav Abba, and as you, you will become clear, that she was married twice. Both of her husband's name was Rav Abba. She had her son Rav Shmuel from her first husband, so she was married. She had Rav Shmuel. Whether her first husband died or divorced her, she had assets. Then she got remarried to a new Rav Abba. And let's quickly go over the dinam that we learned so much in, in the previous Seder, that when a woman gets married, aside of the ksuba obligation, which should also be broken down into the Iker ksuba, right, to Apsula, two, two, two mana, 
200 zuz, to a ba'ula, 100 zuz. The husband, if he wants, can add to that principle, that's called teisefes ksuba. But aside of that, there's something else. If a woman owns assets, movables, real estate, and she brings it into her marriage, so they are written into the ksuba in one of the following two options. Number one, they could be classified as nichsei tsoin barzel. They are iron-clad properties, meaning we learned all this in ksubas, that they are evaluated, and we learned special rules about that evaluation. It's not exactly, it's worth 100, they wrote 100, if you remember that. But however they evaluated it, they wrote them to the ksuba that she brought in, let's say, $1,000 worth of assets. And if, the, if, if it was written in that way, then the asset themselves belong to the husband. They are leaned, but they belong to the husband. And if he divorces her, or if he predeceases her, then she gets $1,000 on top of the ksuba. She gets that money back. That's called nichseit sein barzel. It's ironclad because whatever she brings in, that value she gets out. But there's another type of asset that can be written into the ksuba. And that's called nichseit meloig. The word meloig means plucking. These are assets that continuously belong to her. There's a rule that during the marriage, the husband gets to use the user fruit. If, it, if it's producing fruit, if it's giving off a rental, the husband takes that money, but the asset itself belongs to her. Now what happens if she dies before the husband? Then the husband inherits his wife. So the case here was that this mother of Rav Shmuel, she had properties in the category of Nechzamalaik, she was married to her new husband, Rababa. She did not want that if she'll predecease her husband, and the halach is the husband will inherit her, she didn't want the husband to inherit these Nechzamaloi properties. She wanted her son, Rab Shmuel, to inherit it. So what did she do? So, Kesaftinu she wrote over all of these properties as a gift to her son, Rab Shmuel Barabba. Now, obviously, during the marriage, she doesn't have the usufruit. So the son was unable to use it as she's married. You cannot give something that you don't have. But now what happened was, Basar Deshkiva, she indeed predeceased her current husband. So now there's a dintaira between Abshmuel Barabba and his mother's current Rabba, the, the new husband, who owns the Nechzim turning to Daf Pechesam at Beis. So Ozal Rav Shmuel Bar Abba, Kamei Rabba So they went to the Rav Rabbi Yirmiya Bar Abba, a lot of Abbas here, and he paskint Oikmei Benachasei. He said that the son indeed owns the properties. The mother had the power to give it over as a gift to the son. The gift is valid and he owns it. What is the issue here? So, let's speak it out by heart. It's a, it's, it's a long Ahmed that's relatively very short. There's one Nakuda. There is, there is a rule, and then we're going way back. Whenever you have a Machlaikas Rabbi Yechanan and a Shlakish, the Halach is like Rabbi Yechanan. Right? Just like the rule of Abai and Rava, Halachic Rava, aside of the six Yalkegam cases, their Halach is like Abaya. So, we learned this together in Yavamas that Rava says that in all Times, Rabbi Yechanan, Reshlakish, Halachik, Rabbi Yechanan, Lebar Mitlas. There are three cases where the Halach is like Reshlakish. One is this case. What is this case? Do we say, Kinyan HaPedes Ki Kinyan HaGuf? Or do we say, Kinyan HaPedes Lafke Kinyan HaGuf? Which word to mean, in our case? A woman has property. During her marriage, who has the rights to, to the user fruit? The husband. Even in the Nechsem even though it belongs to her, while she's married, the husband gets to benefit from it. 
Rabbi Yechanan is of the opinion that Kenyan Haperis ki Kenyan Haguf, which means that since the husband is the one that has the sole rights to the Peris, during the marriage it's as if he owns the land itself. If we look at it that way, then the wife, the mother, didn't have any ownership during the marriage. If she doesn't have any ownership, then when she writes a gift, the gift cannot be valid. Correct? Here is the gift valid even before she died? So it, it, there it's irrelevant to say the words valid. There's nothing the son can do. The question is, will the gift be valid enough that if she predeceases her husband, then the, husband, the son should be kind of the, the property. And that's exactly what Rav Yemriyapaskant. And that Lachur is all based on the fact that King and Hapedes, Lafke King and Haguf, which is the opinion of Reish Lakish, which is the Halacha, that's all going to fit. So therefore he felt, listen, true, the husband has the Pedis, but the land itself belongs to the wife. It's Nechsem So if the land belongs to her, whatever she owns, she could give to her son. So the gift was effective. Now the son cannot do anything with the gift other than knowing that he owns the land. But now that she predeceased the Nur Rav Abba, the gift is valid. However, people disagreed with the Rav. So Azal Rav Abba, the current husband went, and Amr Lamilsa Kamei the Rav Hoishaya, he shared the Psagdin of Rabbi Yirmiya. Right, that's what happens. You lose it in Torah. You go, you complain. Wow, look what that Rav Paskind. And Azal Rav Hoishaya, and he shared the Psagdin with Rav Yehuda. And Rav Yehuda disagreed. And Omar Lay, Rabbi Yehuda said, Hachi Omar Shmuel. One second, it's wrong. We learned all these dinim together. This is a good chazor. That if a woman sells her nechsem not the case she gave it to her son as a gift. Same the concept. She sold it. And the person who bought it, by the way, didn't give her full value. The person who bought the nechsem knew that as long as the husband is alive, he can't use it. It's like futures. But if the husband will divorce her, if the husband will predecease her, she'll get it back. So he already bought it. So we, we, Shmuel says, that if she predeceases him, then we don't say that since she sold it while she was alive, the husband can only inherit that which belongs to his wife and the essence was sold, they said that, no, the husband takes it. In other words, she doesn't have a right to sell it. If she doesn't have a right to sell it, she doesn't have a right to gift it. Very good. Nexus and Basel, for sure, she cannot sell. Very good. Okay, so Rab, so Rabbi Yehuda quoted Shmuel, paskening, arguing with the Psagdin of Rabbi Yirmiya. And it came back to Rav Yirmiyah. So he says, very nice, you're quoting Shmuel. Shmuel is great. Shmuel is an Amaira. Anna, my Psagdin is based on the following Mishnah. And this is the Mishnah that we spoke out regarding King and Apedes, King and Aguf, Alaf, King and Aguf. What's the Mishnah? So the Mishnah is the Mishnah above Basra. And look at this case. If a person, a father, during his life, writes in a document, Rashi writes a second line from the top of the Ahmed. These words are important. He writes that, I'm giving this field to that son. What's that mahayim? First of all, you cannot give a gift after you, after, after you pass away. So you have to write mahayim. But you only want the gift to go into effect. Because the father wants to use the paytas while the father is alive. But he wants to make sure that after his passing, that son should get that field. So it says in the Mishnah, so you have a, again, you have someone owns the paytas, someone owns the goof. Right, the father owns the paytas, it appears like the son owns the goof, 
none of them own it fully. So the Mishnah says none of them now can fully sell that field because they don't fully own it. The son cannot fully sell the field because the father has the rights to the fruit. The Mishnah says the father cannot sell the field because the essence, the goof, belongs to the son. However, it continues the Mishnah. What happens if one did sell it? Says the Mishnah, if the father sells it, then yeah, you cannot sell more than what you own. But what did the father own? He kept for himself the paytas. So as long as the father is alive, the loikeach gets to use the paytas. Likewise, continues the Mishnah, if the son sold it, the buyer won't have anything until the father dies, which implies that after the father dies, the loikeach will take possession of it. Now hold on a second. If the son is still alive, you can't prove anything from here. Because you can argue, how, did, how does the sale go into effect after the father dies? The father dies, so now the son inherits it. And then there is a document, so it goes from the father to the son, and from the son to the Lekeach. However, says Rabbi Yirmiya, says the Gemara, being that the Mishnah did not differentiate. Across the board, the Mishnah says, when the father passes away, the Lekeach gets it. That will also include what happens if before the father died, the son died? What happened? The father gave a gift to a son. The son sold it to someone else. The son died, and then the father died. Even in this case, the fact that the Mishnah does not differentiate, it comes out that the Lekeach purchased it. It belongs now to the Lekeach. What does that prove? That King and Apeiris left King and Aguf. Because if the father's ownership in Pedis would be Kiking and Haguf, then the son's sale should not be valid. All this is a proof to Rabbi Yirmi Yashita, King and Apeiris left Kiking and Haguf. So therefore, coming back over here, his mother had the right to give it to him as a gift. Let's read it inside. Says the Gemara, Kimois Avmiya. However, when the father passes away, then Israel Lekeach, then the Lekeach will now take ownership in all cases. Va'afogav the Meis Haben Bechai Ha'av, meaning the Le'osulade Haben, it never came to the hands of the son. And why would that be? So now Rabbi Yirmi is all talking it out because that's going to be like Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish explained this very Mishnah. That's the base, the source of Rabbi Shlakish's opinion that King and Hapedes lafke King and Aguf. The Amma that he says regarding this Mishnah, in all cases, and where do we have this interpretation of Rabbi Shlakish? The Itma we learned. Mamish this case, they spoke about this. The father first writes a field over to a son. This is yours. The father keeps the paytas, the son gets the goof. Then the son goes ahead and he sells it. And then, then the son dies. And then the father dies. Now the question is, does the Lekeach own it? Rabbi Yechanan says, That's Rabbi Yechanan. King and Apeiris, King and Haguf. The father had the rights to the paytas. So halachically, we consider the field the father's. The son has nothing to sell. And the son died before the father. So how can the Lekeach get it? From whom is he getting it? From the son? The son never owned it. Never owned it. And explaining. Rabbi Yechanan cannot go against the Mishnah. So he's going to say that the Mishnah was only speaking about the case that the father died before the son. And 
implying that the chimayas ha'av, that if the father dies, then islay l'lekeach, then the lekeach will own it. I, Rabbi Yechanan, I am not contradicting the Mishnah. Why? Because the Mishnah is only speaking about the the son didn't die when the father was living. The father is alive, the father dies, now the son gets it. So now that the son gets it, it goes from the son, from that instant, it goes to the lekeach. In other words, the us that they have been. Avul Rabbi Yechanan will limit the law of the Mishnah. Since the Layas that they have been, Kimayis av nami leislei lelekeach. Alma, all this is because ki kosover Rabbi Yechanan holds king in peters, king in aguvdami. The father kept for himself the rights to the usufruit, and therefore vechi zabein when the son sold it, lavdi days zabein. There was nothing of his to sell, so it's bechal not effective. Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish Oimer that kanol lekeach that the lekeach will own it, even if the son died before the father. The son died, the father died. The lekeach has it. Because Kiktani Masnisen, when the Mishnah says, that if the son sells it, that implies that Kimayis Av Mihas. However, if the father dies, when the father dies, regardless who the son, the Lekeach will own it. In all cases, why? Because Alma, that the Shlakish holds, King in Pedis, Lafke King in Aguvdami. And therefore, the key, Kozabin, when the son sold it, the day Kozabin, it says, the father gave him the essence. And continues the Gemara, Va'anan Hashto. The Gemara is saying that we have to accept that Dein Rabirmiya Barabo. Ubein Rav Yehuda, both of them, everyone holds like Rav Shimon ben Lakish Fidelahu. Like we quoted, Yivam Islamid Vav, Rava says that there are three cases, Rav Yechen and Reish Lakish, Halacha is Keresh Lakish. One of them is this case. In other words, Vikasava Rav Yirma Barabo, that is Al-Kadaitah King in Pedeske King in Aguv Dami. Don't forget, they never said those words. Rav Yechen and Reish Lakish never used the words King in Pedeske King in Aguv Fornat. They were just having a machlekes regarding the Mishnah of Abbasra. And we paskin like Reish Lakish. So Ramir Mabayabra is saying that if Reish Lakish will hold that king in Hapetis is king in Haguf, the father, when the father was living, the father owns the Pedis. If that's town to mount to the father owning the Guf itself, Kimoyas Av, when the father dies, however, Umoyas Haben Bechayah Av, but the son predeceased the father. Why would the Lekeach own it? Because Kikozabin, Hai, Lavdidei Kozabin. Elolav Shmamino, the fact that the Rishlakish clearly states that the Mishnah of Abbasid goes in all cases, that's because the Rishlakish holds King in Pedis, Lavke King in Aguvdami. And therefore, going back to our story in the Hispsagdin, the mother wrote it over to her son. True, then, then, her current husband had the rights of the Nechsimaloik. The husband had the Pedis, but Lafka King and Haguf, she owned the Guf. If she owned the Guf, then her gift to her son should be valid. So he, you're quoting me a Shmuel, I'm quoting you a Mishnah. A Mishnah, taka the way the Shlakish interprets the Mishnah, but we don't want for us to have to say that Shmuel or Rav Yehuda paskin like Rabbi Echanan in this scenario, because we know in this case we paskin like the Shlakish. So that was a good question. So all of that made its way to Rav Yehuda. So Ahadrua, like I made Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda heard Rabbi Yirmiya's defense for his psagdin. And Amar Lahu, 
So he says, one second, you think my Rebbe didn't know about this Mishnah? He knew about this Mishnah. Nevertheless, Hachiyomar Shmuel, Shmuel says that Zu Eina Doimelo Mishnah Seinu. What we are paskining regarding a married woman selling her Nechsamaloik, giving it as a gift to her son, has nothing to do with this Mishnah. Eina Doimelo. And go break your head, why Eina Doimelo? Anyway, so you have a machlekas between two paiskim. The only question is, asks the Gemara, what, what's exactly Eina Doimelo? How is it not like our Mishnah? Ma'i Tamom. So we have an, an initial attempted. Uh, interpretation and then the conclusion. So Amar Rabbi Yosef. So this is what Rabbi Yosef said: that this had the whole Mishnah been written the opposite, meaning it's not a father who gave a gift to a son. But if there would have been a son, same thing that would have written the document to his father, giving his father of the son a field, He's telling his dad, when I die, the field belongs to you. As long as I'm living, I still get to eat the fruit. If the Mishnah would have written It's a long Rashi, let's read the whole Rashi inside to get the whole Mishnah again. I would say it's around 20 lines from the top of the Amid. And the same exact case. And then the father sold it. I'm reading inside Rashi. Right, the father sold it. And then And then the father died and then the son died. The whole thing in the opposite. And on that, Reish Lakish would have said that now that the father died, no matter when the son died, now that the son died, no matter when the father died, the Kanali Keach. So now you would be right in interpreting Reish Lakish as holding king and Hapedes, Lafke king and Aguf. Shamin and Mina, you would have to say, Mishum the king and Pedes, that belonged to the son, Lafke king and Aguf dummy. So therefore, the father owned the Guf, and the father had the power to sell the Guf. There is no consequence until the son dies. But after the son dies, whether the father died after the son, whether the father died before the son, that's what Rish Lakish says, that would prove that Rish Lakish holds King and Apedus, Lafke King and Aguf. Avol, Vaitinanashi, Hashta, Dilma. Now that the Mishnah did not give the case of a son giving a gift to a father, but the Mishnah only spoke about a father giving a gift to a son, maybe this has nothing to do with King and Apedus, King and Aguf or not. Maybe even a shlakish holds king in apetis, king in haguf, king in haguf, which means that since the father has the petis, then the father has the essence. But Bakhlaw, we have so many dinner that we learned that kol haroy lebila kibila dami, kol haroy lizra kizarek dami, kol haroy liyarshoi. Since the son eventually would inherit it, that eventuality gives him some sort of halachic connection now. It has nothing to do with king in apetis, king in haguf. That's kavalik. And therefore, prove, prove from that Mishnah that, 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 that the reason behind the Ishlakish is because King and Apetis, Lafke King and Agov, Fikin Kolke King and Agov, Royal Yarshay. Very good. Let's go back inside the Gemara. So, Ikev, our second white line. If the Mishnah would have written the case of a son giving a gift to his father, then you're right. Ikev, a Mifshat Mina. That would have been the only rationale behind that would have been because King and Apetis, Lafke King and Aguv, the King and Apetis, Lafke King and Aguv, Dami, Ewa Hashta Diktani. But now that the Mishnah Baba Basra did not give the son to the father, it did give a father to the son, etc. I would argue that you know why the Shlakish learns that no matter if the son 
predeceased his father. No matter when the lekeach will get it after the father dies, that's because of another rule. Since the son is fit to inherit from his father, he has enough of a connection to that land that his sale is effective. Right away, Abaya refutes him. Abaya says something gavaldic. Hold on. What, a father is not roi to be a tiyarsh on the father? It's not true. Atu bra yaris abba is only son inheriting from the father, but abba la yaris bra, we know it's not that way. You know, when it comes to Yerusha, Dini Yerusha is it goes down and up. That's the rule. So if you have sons, it goes down. Down and then up. But, it, but if a person has no children, or better, if a person has no descendants, when they pass away, who's next in line? The father. It goes to his brother because if the father is not living, then theoretically it goes to the father. But since the father is also not living, then it goes to the father's sons, which might be his brother. But that, it goes, it goes down, up, and sideways. But the sideways to his brothers, it's because, because, of because of the grandfather. It goes down and up. It also goes up. It's a Ella, so it's the same thing. Now let's analyze it. Why would a father write a gift to a son? Or why would a son write a gift to the father? Because it says the Gemara, hold on. You know why they're doing it? Because, let's speak about the case of the Mishnah. A father wrote a gift to a son. Not so simple. That son is the only son? If there are other sons, then uh, the father writing a field to one son, he's doing it because he doesn't want the other sons to inherit. You understand? Let's go inside. Elam. If the Mishnah would have written, like he's suggesting, that a son writes a gift to his father, what's really happening? Because the son does have children. And if he would pass away, his children would get his Yerusha. He's writing a gift to his father because he doesn't want it to go to his children. He wants it to run away from his children to go to his father. Likewise, in the case that the Mishnah does give, the father wrote a gift to his son because he doesn't want that field to go to all of his children. He doesn't want it to go to the recipient's brothers as well. He only wants it to go to the recipient. And therefore, going back, Roy Liyarshoi has nothing to do with the Mishnah. This son is not Roy Liyarshoi. This son is Roy Liyarshoi with his brothers. But he's not the exclusive owner. And if Reish says what he says, which is that no matter when the son dies, the Lekeach gets it, it must be because Reish holds King and Hapedus, Lafke King and Aguf. Because if Reish will hold that King and Hapedus, King and Aguf, being that the father retained the right to the Pedus until the father will pass away, the son doesn't own anything to, to sell. Why would the sale be valid after the father dies? Again, if the sale is only valid if the father dies before the son, that works. That's Rabbi Echanan. But the fact that the Lakish says that the Dinim Baba Basra is regardless when the son dies, after the father dies, the Lekeach gets it, it's only because you have to hold that the Lakish holds King in Apeiris, Lafke King in Haguf. And we pass him like Lakish. So coming back, so why wasn't this gift to her son? Why wasn't Shmuel the owner of the properties? Answers the Gemara. We learned this all together. You know, the Sanhedrin moved to Usha. And there were certain rules of the Sanhedrin. And one of them is the Amar Ab Yesi Barab Khanina, three lines from the bottom. That Bausha Hiskinu. That Ho'isha Shamakra Benichsimilaig Bahai Baila. If a woman sells her Nachsimilaig and she dies, the buyer cannot say, husband, you don't inherit it from her. She owned it, which she did. She sold it. You inherit your wife, that which she owned. But I bought it. The husband takes it from the Lakuchais. Why? Look inside four lines from the bottom 
of the Amid and Nashi, that the Afal Gav the Baalma, yeah, we say, Lafke King and Haguv Dami. No, the husband's right to an Achsamaloig. He doesn't own the field, he only has the user fruit. The field belongs to her. Nevertheless, Baal benichse ishtei almuar rabbanan l'shibudei. The Chachamim made his possession stronger. Why? Mishum eva, because he's going to resent his wife if the wife would have the power to give it away. Who knows? Maybe he married her because of a part of the reason he married her is because yeah, if she'll die before me, who I'll inherit an achsamalik. That works for her also. The new Ravaba married the, the widow of the old Ravaba. Maybe he married her because he wanted to own her in Achsimaluk. She has no right to give it away to her son. And the Gemara says, now it's interesting that this rule, Shiskinu Ba'usha, is not explicitly written. We have it from a tradition from Rabbi Yesi Barab Khanino. Well, now we're going to try to prove, says Rab Idi Bar Avin, there is a Masniso, there is a Tanino, there is a Braiso that tells you a din, and that din proves that they made that Akana Nusha. We're going to refute the proof. But what's the proof? So as we spoke out before, B'kitzer, when a woman gets married, she gets a ksuba. You have the Iker ksuba, the 200 zoos, the 100 zoos. There can be a Toysus ksuba if he adds to that principal money. And then you have again, Nechsim Eloig and Nechsim Barzim. So it's, we learned in Abraisam that what were to happen if Me'idim, if two witnesses come and they testify regarding a couple, they say that we saw that the man divorced his wife and we saw him giving her the ksuba. Turning to that pay test. However, the fact is, is that they're living together as a husband and wife, and she is claiming that they're not divorced. But we don't know that. She's claiming that they're not divorced. Adam are saying that they're divorced, and she got her ksuba. Now, now the Adam become Adam Zoyimimim. Now, what type of damage? Do you, what kind of penalty do you give to the Adam Zoyimim? Whatever they conspire to do, what exactly did they conspire to do? See, one thing is clear. If there's no debate whether they're divorced or not, if they're for sure divorced, and she wants her ksuba, and Adam are saying she already got her ksuba, then the Adam are stealing the ksuba away from her. If they become Adam Zoyimim, they have to pay to her whatever she would have gotten. But you can't say that in our case. You understand? Because she is claiming she was not divorced yet. If a woman is not divorced, maybe she never would have gotten her ksuba. If she predeceases her husband, the Iker ksuba he doesn't give her, the Tresh ksuba he doesn't give her. The Nechset Barzal he already owns. And the husband will be Yoyrish, the Nechset Meloik. So what, what kind of penalty do you give to the Edom Zayman? Gavaldik. You can't say whatever the money of the ksuba is, she might have never gotten it. But why don't you say she's going to die? It may happen. If for sure they're divorced, the only question is whether she got it or not her ksuba. And if the Adam said that she got it and they're liars, then they were going to deny her the ksuba, pay the ksuba. But the Braissa says, futures, that Yishalmu kol ksubasa, that the Adam Zayim have to pay her the whole ksuba. Because maybe she would not have gotten it. Ella says the Braissa, the discounted amount. In other words, how much money would the woman get if she would sell her ksuba when she's still married? Oh. Now, the Braissa goes on, what is a Tevis If she wants to cash, she wants to monetize her ksuba, what are the risks if you buy a woman's ksuba? So the Braissa says, every case is a case, because you know, who's going to die first? 
so you can't give a rule. But if a man were to look at this woman, what are the ups and the downs? On one hand, he's going to take a look at her and he's going to say, if she'll become a widow, then she'll get it and he'll get it. Or if she'll get divorced, so she'll get it and he'll get it. That's the up. But he's not going to pay full value. Why not? Look at the words in the Braisa. Because, because she might die before the husband. And if she predeceases him, then the husband will get the entire ksuba. End of Braisa. So now says the Gemara, the proof. Not for you accepting Takonasusha. So then, how can the Braisa make a statement? That what's the downside? That if she'll die, the husband will inherit the ksuba. No, she just sold the ksuba. If she has the right to sell the ksuba, so uh, they, they, in the Havamina is, is that it must mean that if there is Takana Susha, if there, if there wouldn't be Takana Susha, Danny, that's the Havamina. Not only would she have the right to sell the Nichse Meloig, she would have the right to sell the Nichse Tsein Barzel. And then the Braisa Mamish wouldn't make sense. Because then the Tevis Hanah would be just the 200 zoos, which is mamish nothing, compared to the next Amalek and the next Amalek and the next If there is no Takana Susha, why would the husband inherit her? Tazben Ksuba Saligamri, she should have the power to sell all of her Ksuba, including the next Amalek and we're putting it together. And she just sold it. If a man is buying her Ksuba, that should be included in the sale. So it should be a lot more worth. The only risk is the 200 zoos. So we're not debating the concept of the Braisa, but the wordings of the Braisa, that the downside of someone buying a ksuba is that if she'll die, her husband will inherit. Why will the husband inherit her ksuba? She sold it. So it's Araya that she can't sell it. So Abayi says you can't prove anything from that. Even without Takana Susha, a woman would only be allowed to sell her nechsa maloig, but never the nechsa tsayim barzel. Oh, Amar Abayi, that im yomru b'nechsa maloig, even, let's say that a woman could sell an Echsim Eloig. Is Yoimiru Benichsed Tzayim Barzal? Tzayim Barzal she cannot sell. Tzayim Barzal belongs to the husband. She'll only get the thousand dollars if the husband divorces her, if the husband predeceases her. But if she dies first and the husband doesn't owe her that money, the husband doesn't, she does not own it. The husband won't have to give it. So it's correct for the Braisa to say that she only gets the Tevis Hano. You can't prove anything from the Braisa. Bottom line is, is that there is Takana Susha. And since there's Takana Susha, so that Yirmiya's Psag Din was challenged, you cannot say that Shmuel gets the money because the mother had no right to give it to him as a gift because of Eva, to be continued.